Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Farida Javala Romero. President Joe Biden promised a more humane and welcoming approach to migrants seeking protections in the U.S. But so far, he's kept in place some Trump administration restrictions on asylum. We get an update on the humanitarian crisis for thousands of migrants and asylum seekers who are waiting at the U.S.-Mexico border and talk about the Biden administration's handling of the issues so far. That's next on Forum, right after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Farida Javala Romero. President Joe Biden says he wants to restore and strengthen our asylum system for immigrants fleeing persecution. He has relaxed some restrictions put in place under former President Trump. But advocates are critical of the Biden administration for keeping other policies that limit people's ability to apply for and win asylum in this country. One of the most controversial is something called Title 42 that largely closed the southern border for many asylum seekers because of COVID-19. Joining me first from the San Isidro Port of Entry in Tijuana is Max Rivlin-Nadler, immigration reporter with KPBS, our sister station in San Diego. Max, welcome to the show. Good to be here. So um, I understand earlier today you crossed uh, from the U.S. uh, into Mexico. Uh, Can you tell me what's going on at the San Isidro Port of Entry and what things are like there? So at the San Ysidro Port of Entry, right now, there are normally, before the pandemic, two entrances to the uh, Port of Entry. Right now, one entry is filled with a camp, an encampment of migrants who are waiting for their chance to claim asylum. At the other entry to the Port of Entry is a very long line filled mostly with Mexican citizens trying to enter the United States to work. This line could extend for up to two to three hours each morning. Also, that's where I'm standing. In that line are asylum seekers off to the side, some of them trying to get in through a process known as humanitarian parole, 
I just watched as 15 asylum seekers were taken into custody by Customs and Border Protection for consideration for humanitarian parole and will most likely be allowed into the United States. That type of parole is looking to be expanded by the Biden administration in the coming weeks. So humanitarian parole, I mean, why wouldn't they just uh, request uh, asylum like they used to? Uh Right, exactly. So uh, before the pandemic, uh, there was a a process called metering, but it allowed people to wait in a a line that often took months, but eventually cross the border through a port of entry and apply for asylum, because the only way to apply for asylum is to be inside the United States. Since the pandemic, uh, the Trump administration put in place a thing called Title 42, which stems from a CDC order, which basically rejects any asylum seekers at port of entries and outside of port of entries. So pushing people back into Mexico. These are asylum seekers who have often spent um, months, sometimes even years waiting in Tijuana for their chance to claim asylum. So you mentioned the migrant uh, camps uh, that are uh, near where you are and also along the border. Uh, can you tell me, I know you've visited some of them and talked to people there. Can you tell me about who who's there? Is it families? Uh, we've heard uh, many of these migrants are from Central America, but there's also people from Cameroon and Cuba and Haiti, Venezuela. Yeah, it's really an international community. A lot of people are from Central America, specifically Honduras. But there are other people who are arriving from places like Cameroon, Haiti. Uh, I spoke with a group of Haitians who had been staying at this migrant encampment right at the border uh, who faced intense discrimination, so much so that many of them made the really difficult decision to hop the border fence, knowing full well that it's very possible they could be deported and removed to a place like Haiti, which is uh, very dangerous for asylum seekers right now, uh, within a few hours. So that just shows how dangerous these migrant encampments are, especially if you are from a group that is discriminated against no matter where you are, and especially in a place like Mexico for black migrants. So you mentioned uh, the uh, the safety issue for migrants uh, along the, the border in these camps and, and elsewhere. Um, I mean, we know that in Tijuana, for example, the city has one of the highest murder rates in Mexico, and migrants are also in fear of extortion by local police and kidnappings and violence by cartels. Can you tell me a little bit more about what's the situation for folks who've uh, had to live there, uh, you know, trying to uh, wait for the U.S. to allow them to uh, seek asylum in this country. Yeah, because right, it's not only that they're trying to flee their home country, uh, they're, they're spending a lot of time in a country where they have no status, or if they had a work visa, it's now expired, right? Because these only last a year, and they've been here for much longer. People have been kidnapped, people have been extorted, um, people run to the border looking for protection from kidnappers. The migrant encampment that uh, it has sprung up at the San Sergio Port of Entry itself has become a very dangerous place for children especially and, and asylum seekers in general, a lot of non-governmental organizations have stopped going or go kind of as a group at certain times as opposed to having a kind of constant uh, presence there. And then, you know, on top of that, there is a group of people that are being flown across the country by Border Patrol and removed to Mexico. These are asylum seekers who could not be removed back into Mexico, and they're being left in Tijuana literally with nothing because Customs and Border Protection has taken their their food and their money and even uh, their shoelaces in in many cases. So when somebody like that is being dropped into a place like Tijuana, they very clearly, and they're being identified, they very clearly don't 
belong in the city, they're not from the city, and that makes them a huge target for organized crime. Wow, it sounds like a really desperate situation for a lot of people there. And I mean, do you have a sense of uh, how many migrants are uh, now along the border? There were some different estimates I've seen of tens of thousands of people, maybe? Yeah, it's really tough to tell. You know, at least, uh, you know, hundreds of people camping out at the border. But the people who crossed this morning and the people who I'm standing next to waiting to cross the border right now, they often are staying at shelters or renting apartments, uh, working in Mexico, making just a little bit of money to rent these spaces. Uh, So it's really tough to get an estimate how many people there are. Um, But it's safe to say tens of thousands of people, because this is a logjam that has been building for some time. No matter the policy on either side of the aisle, whether it's Trump or Biden, people kind of come regardless, uh, given the deteriorating conditions in Central America and uh, ecological collapse there as well. Right. So you mentioned that, I mean, this is a policy of basically shutting down the border to many asylum seekers, um, uh, not letting them even request the protections in the U.S. It started under President Trump, but it's continued on the President Biden mostly. Um, you know, what what are you seeing for people who want to request asylum uh, now? Is it uh, can they even? Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. So the people who are able to get this type of uh, parole into the United States humanitarian parole, they're working with lawyers that they've found. They've either called a hotline or they've met them at their shelter. And but there are so many people who don't have lawyers. And really, because they're being pushed to this point of desperation, they're being made to make really difficult decisions. I've talked to moms and parents who've had to decide whether to send their kids across the border alone, literally take them over the border fence, um, bring them to the United States where they'll be accepted as an unaccompanied minor. Um, and, and so there's this self-separation happening south of the border. Um, if we talk about separating families, that's just as separating as many families right now, because realistically, once that kid is in the U.S., the chance of them seeing their parent again for, for years is very low. Wow, that's so difficult. And we have to mention here that that is because, in part, because the Trump, um, sorry, the Biden administration has now begun uh, accepting unaccompanied minors, uh, children without parents or guardians, to come into the U.S. to seek asylum, but has still blocked uh, mostly others, right, Max? Right, but that creates a confusion among asylum seekers, right? Because a lot of times what they're looking for is some clarity. But because some families are getting in through humanitarian parole, other families are getting in because they cross the border and Border Patrol just decides that day they don't have the capacity. They're going to let them into the United States to continue their asylum claim from inside the United States. Uh, They're getting in, too. A lot more families, young people and individuals are getting into the U.S. and under the Trump administration. But because there is no formal process right now and because asylum hasn't really been uh, reinstalled in any meaningful way, it just creates more confusion, especially for people who see other people cross the border and call them from a place like Minnesota. We made it. We reunited with our family. And they go, well, why, why wouldn't that be me? And they're going to try and sometimes a really difficult and dangerous crossing. Yeah. And I think it's also important to mention, Max, that uh, this is happening, uh, this basically blockade or for many asylum seekers at the southern border while we're still having commerce. Uh, you know, lots of people drive uh, back and forth across the border. I've heard estimates that about 340,000 people per day cross the border, uh, you know, with Mexico. Um, so so this is really something that's affecting undocumented migrants and asylum seekers. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the the idea that the border is closed has never been a true thing in a place like San Diego during the pandemic because, you know, I'm look, literally looking at uh, hundreds of cars that cross every day, hundreds of people that cross every day to live and work and be essential workers in uh, the San Diego region. Uh, so, you know, even just a few minutes ago, a group of Republican Congress members actually crossed the border here and went and inspected uh, the border um, and, and kind of took a few photos and left. So really, you know, this border is, is wide open for everybody but uh, people seeking asylum for the most part. Max, thank you so much for joining us this morning. I really appreciate you going to, uh, to Mexico to speak with us from, from there. Yes. Good to be uh, joining you this morning. Okay, that was Max Rivlin-Nadler, immigration immigration reporter at KPBS, uh, our sister station in San Diego. And now I want to bring in Dulce Garcia. She's an immigration attorney and executive director for the nonprofit Border Angels. Dulce, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having us. So you've been visiting the camps, uh, the migrant camps that Max was talking about regularly. Can you tell me what you're seeing there? Yes, um, we have been on the ground for over a month now, and um, everything that Max is talking about is very much true. Uh, we even have women that are pregnant from uh, incidences of rape and uh, unaccompanied minors that have presented themselves at the port of entry and have been rejected and are in the encampment right now. Um, and we have 500 children right now sleeping in tents uh, without certainty of food, nutrition, um, vitamins, um, sanitary, um, portable water. It's just um, the entire situation is really heartbreaking to know that the Biden administration is not making true to its promises of restoring asylum and creating more chaos, as Max was saying, the lack of information and, and hearing rumors that one family made it through makes it really difficult for us on the ground um, trying to provide the right information for these folks. But on the last um, few weeks, as tension escalated because, as it was uh, explained earlier, we have the presence of the cartel the gangs, the even the local police and vendors that harass them. Um, um, Dulce, Dulce, we need to go on a break, but we'll be right back. We're speaking with Dulce Garcia, immigration attorney and executive director for Border Angels. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. 
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Farida Javala Romero. We're spending this hour talking about what the Biden administration's approach is to asylum seekers at the border with Dulce Garcia, Executive Director for Border Angels and an immigration attorney. Dulce, I'm so sorry I interrupted you before the break. You were talking about something really important that uh, a lot of migrants uh, in these um, you know, encampments have uh, suffered a lot while they've been waiting for uh, the chance to ask for asylum. Uh, from from U.S. authorities. Yes, that's exactly right. The, the the migrants that are in this encampment are not all newly arriving to Tijuana or to Mexico. Some have been waiting for asylum to be restored for months and some even for two years. And in the process that they have waited in Mexico, some have endured uh, extortions, kidnappings. We have a few women that have even been raped and impregnated during uh, their wait here in Mexico while the um, Biden administration looks to restore an asylum. They are now in this encampment where they face even bigger risks with the presence of and intimidation of the gangs that are there. Um, in the few weeks um, ago, the tension was so bad that people became so desperate and blocked some of the lanes on the entrance um, that Max is talking about at the San Isidro port of entrance. And the vendors um, fought back and they, and they um, injured some of the people that were there at the encampment. And they have even received harassment from the local police there is no presence of the local government in that encampment. They're not providing um, water or meals or clothing or blankets. Um, there are none, none of the big NGOs on the ground right now. Very few of us that are trying to contain um, the um, spread of the rumors, the misinformation. Um, but we have seen that in the last uh, three weeks when we started to do our legal uh, sessions in collaboration, with uh, APALA, AFSC, um, and the Psicologos Sin Fronteras, who are psychologists. And we have started to do these legal consultations. We can see that the tension in the encampment has gone down. So what these people are looking for are for looking for information and a way for them to be able to process through to, to make their claim to asylum. Um, we have met with moms who ha did make that, that heartful decision of sending their child unaccompanied and, and keeping the smaller children with them for fear that their uh, teenagers would be killed. Um, and, and now that we have been on the ground providing this um, legal assistance, um, thanks to the folks at ACLU that have been litigating uh, against uh, the Biden administration for uh, still enforcing Title 42, um, we have now focused our efforts to identifying those folks that are particularly more vulnerable in this, in this situation to be able to use this informal process that they have negotiated and allow them to process through um, the border, come to the U.S. for humanitarian reasons, and then make their claim to asylum in the U.S. So this process allows for screening and testing of COVID-19, which lets us, let, lets us know that the Biden administration could very well use resources instead of, of uh, detaining people in Texas, spending money to fly them over to San Diego, and then expelling them by the hundreds to these shelters. That money could be used to process people to provide testing to allow them to make their claim to asylum in the U.S. Um, we have seen that the 17 shelters that Border Angels supports are at max capacity. 
they are still receiving these um, migrants that the Biden administration ex- is expelling. Uh, mm-hmm. We have a shelter that at any night gets hundreds of expelled migrants. So they don't have capacity to take in the folks that are at the El Chaparral, the folks that are in the encampment. So without the assistance of the Mexican government or without the assistance of the U.S. government, these folks are dependent on community, community members to provide the next meal, clothing, you name it. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's um, really frustrating that some of the most compelling cases, and we have to think that people are flying from their home country, fleeing um, violence, sometimes at, at the expense of their own government. So they arrived to, to Tijuana hoping that the Biden administration will make good on its promises, uh, promises that were heard during the campaign and that were not fulfilled the first 100 days. And so there's hope that, that they're going to open the border at some point. And the folks in the encampment are hoping they will be the first ones to process in. And so mm-hmm. it's um, really heartbreaking what we're seeing on the ground. Wow. And so, yes, I mean, this policy we're talking about, like you mentioned, it's uh, called Title 42. Uh, It was originally issued by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention under the Trump administration, but the Biden administration has kept it mostly intact. They've made exceptions for uh, unaccompanied minors, children crossing the border without their parents or guardians. Uh, But Dulce, you're mentioning, I mean, something really important that is just so sad that uh, families are having these very difficult difficult decisions to make uh, where mothers uh, are so desperate, they'll just uh, separate, self-separate from their children uh, and, and, and send them on their own? Yes, they're so afraid that their teenager will be killed, um, especially in this area where there is gangs that they have made their presence known. Um, they're afraid their, their child's going to get killed. And so for, for, at last, uh, Hail Mary of survival, they sent their child unaccompanied across the border in the hopes that they'll survive and they'll keep the, the, the babies with them. Um, again, also hoping to survive in the encampment where it is, it is not safe for them. Um, we have um, yes. tended to some babies that have gotten sick there, diarrhea and vomiting and fever in the encampment because there's also a lack of medical attention in the encampment as well. Mm-hmm. And all of this because asylum is not being considered an essential travel, yet we see people from California come visit Baja California for vacationing for uh, the wineries. We see that people are traveling for pleasure coming into Baja California, into Tijuana, yet asylum is not considered essential travel for the U.S. to open the doors for these very desperate people. Dulce, this is uh, this is personal for you. You're actually a recipient of deferred action for childhood arrivals uh, uh, and sued uh, the Trump administration to keep that program alive. You know about the struggle of being undocumented in the U.S. and trying to get legal status here. What are you telling migrants in in this, you know, crazy long limbo and in, in camps? Yes, I, I haven't lost hope, you know, after being undocumented for 33 years in the U.S., I didn't think that I would be in Tijuana right now. Um, Mexico is my home country, and it, my heart is broken from seeing everything. Um, you know, as I hear it as an immigration attorney, I hear the stories from my clients, but there's nothing like coming into these spaces and and experiencing these things um, with them. Um, the the consistent harassment 
even by local governments um, and some residents. It's really heartbreaking as a Mexican to come uh, here. Um, but, you know, I, I have all hopes that one day I'll be a U.S. citizen because that's where I, I have my home. Um, and I hope and I tell these folks here on the ground that there's always hope. You know, there's always hope. There are people that are working very hard uh, day in and out to um, make sure that the door is open, that to ha that we have a humane way of migrating, um, that folks are respected. Um, and so, you know, this isn't going to be solved overnight, even if uh, asylum is fully restored, there's still a lot of work left. And um, I, I tell him, I hope to see you in the U.S. one day. <laughs> um, so we've had some successes of people that have crossed the border. And I'm, I'm here in Tijuana, I can't cross yet to the U.S. And they're in the U.S. already. And so um, in talking with them, you know, smiling and, and, and saying, yeah, you know, I never lost hope. And now I'm in the U.S. and that's going to be my new home now. Um, well, so hope. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dulce, for joining us. I really appreciate your time and you telling us about what you're seeing in, in Tijuana. Thank you for having us again. Okay. Well, that was Dulce Garcia with the nonprofit Border Angels and an immigration attorney. This hour, we're talking about asylum under the Biden administration, and we want to hear from you. Have you or someone you know, a friend or family member, applied for asylum in this country? What was that, what was that like? Give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook. Facebook, we're at KQED Forum, or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. And now we're joined uh, by Arelis Hernandez. Uh, she's a border correspondent for the Washington Post based in San Antonio. Arelis, good morning. Hi there. Glad to be here. So um, you have been covering the border along Texas. What would you say has changed so far for asylum seekers and migrants under President Biden in Texas? What are you seeing? Well, so it depends on, on who you're talking to and what kind of asylum seeker you are, whether you're a member of a family or you're a single adult. And so it's changed. So backing up to under the, the Trump administration, right, you had programs like the Remain in Mexico program or the Migrant Protection Protocol. So that if you were an asylum seeker who either surrendered at a port of entry or surrendered in between those ports of entries, you were enrolled in this program and sent back to Mexico to wait for your court dates. Right. Um, it was called Remain in Mexico. Right, exactly. So that program um, was uh, basically dismantled under Biden. And many of those folks, not everyone, but many of those folks have now been allowed into the country through various ports of entry, particularly in Brownsville um, and in uh, Laredo. Right. So that that's the difference. So th that, those group of migrants, you know, it's, things have changed for them. However, the fact that Title 42 is still in place means that for many, many single adults who are seeking or who might ask for asylum or claim fear and want protection in the United States, it is in nearly impossible, I would say, or, or close to impossible um, to make that petition at a port of entry or either by crossing the river and surrendering to Border Patrol and expressing fear. Um, Border Patrol right now has a lot of discretion in the application of Title 42 or Title 8, which is um, you know, which would give someone an opportunity to, to come into the country. And most of those people are sent back where we do have some inconsistency and um, I guess randomness, arbitrariness is, is with the families. 
because at one point early on uh, this year, it was clear that some families with children under the age of seven were having far more luck getting through that process. Um, and yet I would encounter folks in, for example, in the Mission, Texas area, people who had just crossed from Reynosa, who had small children as well and were being sent back at other parts of the border. And what's also happening is that, it's, say, for example, if you're a family crossing from Reynosa into Mission, Texas, in Southern Texas, in some cases, these folks are being placed in planes and, and then flown out to El Paso or to other points along the border and then being sent back into Mexico. And sort of the rules for who gets to participate in one or three of those different sort of routes um, is seemingly random and inconsistent. Mm-hmm. But I mean, requesting asylum is a legal right under U.S. law, right? So what has the Biden administration um, said about why they're keeping in place the CDC uh, restriction that has basically closed the border to, to the majority of asylum seekers? Well, it sounds like, uh, you know, they're trying to reinforce the message that um, please don't come now, right? Like they've said that before, please don't come and definitely please don't come now and lifting title 42 or if a court were to order the lifting of title 42 um would give the appearance again political optics right that the biden administration is once again just opening the doors to 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 immigrants to to asylum seekers to come into the united states something that has so far been completely unpalatable to the Republicans that he in Congress and and Republicans across the Southwest, whom he would need to pass any kind of immigration reform package. Um, So I think it's a couple of issues. One, uh, it's probably um, they don't have something in place right now, or they haven't fully uh, implemented a strategy for processing all those folks who would be seeking asylum um, in the United States. Second, it's potential to overwhelm right now. This is the issue where Biden polls lowest. Um, And three, you know, thinking about the political capital that he will need Mm -hmm. to be able to get anything done in Congress. Right. So there's uh, several immigration bills uh, in Congress. uh, And then, of course, President Biden proposed that big immigration reform policy. Uh, you know, uh, that would give a pathway to citizenship to many undocumented people in this country. So, I mean, how would you say, again, this humanitarian crisis at the border right now is factoring into all of this political calculation? Oh, I think it's it's absolutely essential part of this. Uh, As I mentioned, right, this is the issue where where President Biden polls the lowest, right, and not just amongst Republicans, but also amongst Democrats. Um, It's one that is visual, uh, you know, all the videos and all the lawmakers who've gone down to the border and have sort of the river as their backdrop, you know, telling this story are sort of winning the uh, the drumbeat of news on both the conservative side, but also sort of just on the visual uh, aspects of, of border issues, right? Mm-hmm. And if this, you know, Republicans in Congress has also signaled that, you know, if he doesn't get the border under control in whatever way that they mean by that, um, that they would not be open 
to any kind of movement on immigration reform. Hmm. And I mean, it sounds like it's not just uh, Republican lawmakers. Uh, We know that Texas Congressman Henry Cuellar, a Democrat, has said uh, the Biden administration needs to do more to discourage migrants from traveling to the U.S. and falling prey to human traffickers in the in the process. Uh, And and we've also heard, uh, you know, like this policy of uh, sealing the border to many asylum seekers is forcing migrants to uh, rely on um, uh, on smugglers to come into the U.S. Do you have any thoughts about uh, Henry Cuellar's, um, you know, comment? Yeah, no, Congressman Cuellar, and I would include in that uh, Congressman uh, uh, Victor Gonzalez, who's uh, been, who sent, led a delegation as well to the border as of late with the, I think it's the Problem Solvers, uh, you know, caucus. But essentially, they're listening to their constituents. You know, Cuellar represents a huge swath of uh, not just border or river adjacent communities, but the communities that are several dozen miles away from the border who are also being affected because, you know, what's happening with Title 42 being in place, single adults unable to, you know, make their petitions for asylum in the first place, they're paying more money for smugglers to ferry them deeper into the country. And this is a piece I actually had in the paper this or online this week. Mm -hmm. Um, And so all of those rural communities north of the border are seeing an increase in high speed cases um, with local law enforcement folks walking through their ranches, uh, all kinds of, you know, sort of signals of human smuggling. And these are the kinds of voices that are reaching, uh, you know, Quayer that are saying, look, for us, the, the border seems to be open, right? You know, whether you define it one way or the other, the border seems open. And we blame Biden and his, you know, welcoming message and his, you know, humanitarian approach that he's, you know, touted for this influx that they're sending a message openly to Central America that it's time to come. And the administration has tried to push back on that, you know, and say that, you know, that's not what they're trying to say. But in this instance, it seems that actions speak louder than words. And so when Guayar says things to that effect, he's basically echoing what he's hearing from his own constituents. Um, we're talking about asylum under the Biden administration with Arelis Hernandez. She's a border correspondent for The Washington Post based in San Antonio. Uh, we are going to go to a break now and we'll be back uh, soon. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Farida Javala Romero. We're talking about asylum under the Biden administration with Arelis Hernandez, border correspondent for The Washington Post, based in San Antonio. And joining us now is also Karen Musalo, director of the Center for Gender and Refugee Studies and professor at the UC Hastings College of Law. Um, Karen, you are part of a lawsuit that is challenging the Trump administration uh, in an attempt to uh, get rid of this uh, border restriction called Title 42 that has been in place uh, since the Trump administration um, issued it uh, last March last year. Can, can, can you tell us about that effort and how that, what's going on with that lawsuit? Yes, thank you so much. It's really a pleasure to be on this program. And I um, and we are co-counsel with the ACLU in um, two lawsuits challenging Title 42. But I want to put this in a broader context. We've really had the benefit of your other um, the other speakers on the program with varied perspectives. And now I want to step back and I want to say that for 40 years, since 1980, before you know Trump um, uh, administration issued close the border through this Title 42 um, measure. Um, for 40 years, the U.S. complied with its own laws, which expressly permit individuals to come to the border, seek asylum, and be admitted. This is U.S. law, and it's also our international obligations with uh, treaties that we've signed. And so the Trump administration used this pretext of COVID-19 um, to close the border. And we know how anti-immigrant the Trump administration was throughout. And, and when I say he used the pretext of Title 42 of the pandemic, um, what I mean is that the CDC itself opposed the closure of the border. This is well known and widely reported. Um, and the White House pressured the CDC to you know, issue this order based on um, public health concerns. But as was noted um, earlier, hundreds of thousands of, of travelers cross the border every day. If this was really about health, then the border would be closed um, to all, mm-hmm. or there would be testing, or there would be some you know, measure. So this was patently, clearly um, a measure to do what the Trump administration attempted to do throughout its four years, which was an assault on immigration and an attempt to close down um, the asylum system. And I think we need to put that in context. And one other thing that I'd like to say, because we talked a lot about, um, you know, public opinion and public opinion against opening the border, but, but, you know, media shapes public opinion. And we've seen all too much of a, a, a rhetoric sort of portraying asylum seekers as invaders and a, and a danger. And so I really so much appreciated starting the program um, with, with Max and um, Druse really describing these are these are families, these are children um, in, in plight and in danger that are asking to be um, admitted and asking the U.S. to live up to its obligation to, um, to, to allow asylum seekers the right to seek protection under our, our law. And, and so as to the litigation, I'll just say I was circling back to that. Yeah. Um, we have we have two lawsuits, one, um, and um, the first one is known by its initials, PJES. And this was a lawsuit that we brought on behalf of unaccompanied children saying that there should be an exemption for unaccompanied children under the Title 42 border closure. 
And that case is now sort of on hold because the Biden administration on its own agreed um, to exempt unaccompanied children and to allow them in to seek asylum. And then the second lawsuit is called Wisha Wisha. Um, and that case is also on hold as, as we in the ACLU um, are in discussions with the Biden administration about whether we can resolve or somehow narrow, narrow the lawsuit to see whether there can be some agreement. So we, I fully believe um, that the that Title 42 should be uh, rescinded and that there is capacity um, and humanity to welcome these desperate uh, asylum seekers. And that to the degree that, um, you know, I really appreciated um, Arellis's comments about how there's a political calculation here that Biden is afraid, you know, of the, he feels like he needs to engage in enforcement and be tough to get the Republican support. And that's something that um, Barack Obama did too. And the Republicans ne never came on board. So, you know, I think that, that Joe Biden needs to take the offensive and do the, the right thing and the moral and ethical thing here. Um, and that the U S is, you know, a strong enough, big enough, smart enough country uh, to do two things at once, which is to admit asylum seekers while also moving forward on um, legislation that gives benefits to other uh, really deserving class of of classes of immigrants that are currently in the United States. And and that's a question uh, I'd like to ask you, Arelis Hernandez. You mentioned also about the political calculation, how there's uh, several immigration bills and uh, stated goals by President Biden on immigration, including potentially a big immigration reform. Uh, and and something uh, Karen mentioned is uh, President the tactic or the strategy that um, you know it seems President Obama played when President Joe Biden was Vice President uh, that he wanted to you know uh, look really strong on the border in order to get Republicans on board with other reforms. Can you tell me, I mean, is that something that is factoring for the Biden administration? So, I mean, the Biden administration hasn't been the most forthcoming about all the reasons why they're making the decisions that they're they're making. You know, we can only go by, as what you mentioned, right, what, what history with the Obama administration did, a strategy that ultimately did not result and any kind of, you know, comprehensive immigration reform uh, with Congress. I think, you know, with Biden, he has sort of a limited amount of time before he, you know, before the midterm elections, essentially. And the Republicans have signaled that this is an issue that they're just going to keep, you know, sort of beating that drum and that this is a winning issue for them uh, ahead of the, the midterms. And with the complication of the filibuster, the, the time constraints and whatnot, it seems that that is part of the calculation. Um, but let's also remember that, you know, President Biden talked a lot about bipartisanship in his, in his inauguration and in his campaign. And uh, this is particularly one of those issues that I don't think the president can or wants to make this uh, sort of a, a party line vote or, or to have some Republicans be a part of that particular conversation. Um, but it could also be a situation where uh, the, the administration is still very, very young in, in many respects. Mm -hmm. um, there were a lot of systems that were dismantled uh, under the, the Trump administration, and they could simply not have the processes of the administration, you know, tools in place 
to be able to carry out what he calls, you know, an orderly and humanitarian approach to processing asylum seekers. Right. And it's something I've seen this uh, new administration say a couple of times with regards to, you know, refugee admissions and other immigration issues that they're inheriting a dismantled or decimated uh, system from the Trump administration. Um, so we uh, we have a caller uh, on the line, Amy uh, from Oakland. Amy, you're on. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, Amy. Um, so thank you so much. First, I just want to say that I really, really appreciate centering the humanity of people who claim asylum because we see so often in the media that that's not centered. And so all of your guests have really done um, just an amazing job to center the humanity. I have spent time both in Honduras and also in Matamoros uh, under an MPP camp under the Trump administration, right, where there are 4,000 people living in tents. Um, and I think one of the things that's really frustrating for me is this constant political debate, mm-hmm. right, where it's um, this idea of, oh, non-migrants are coming because of Biden and, and using this as a, as a political kind of debate, where in reality, people will come because they're fleeing violence. I've spent time in communities in Honduras, and they are going to come because of the violence that they're facing, not only by drug cartels, but also by their own government, by multinational corporations, like we can see in the case of Bertha Cáceres. And so for me, I think I just really wanted to stress, um, you know, the families that come, they come because they have to come. And both the Obama administration, the Trump administration, and, and, you know, even Biden, like this idea of continuing to send aid to a government in Honduras that is actually the cause of so much of this migration, we, we need to incorporate that conversation of root causes into our discussions of asylum, because we can talk so much about the border, but there's also the whole process that pushes people to migrate, right, in their home countries around climate change and neoliberal policies. And then also then the, the struggle that families have, once they even do cross the border, um, there are 11 families here that I've been working with from the Matamoros. They were under MPP. They're claiming asylum, access to legal services, access to housing here in the Bay. We have so many resources that we could be supporting families. And so I think we just put our attention on the border where there's also both sides, right? There's the, the root causes that push people to migrate. And then also what we can be doing within our communities to welcome families, to help them integrate. And so I think those two stories are also really important in this, and I just wanted to share that. So thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for your call, Amy. Thanks for your comment, too. Um, Arelis, Arelis Hernandez, you, I mean, uh, Amy mentioned something important, too, that the Biden administration has put a focus on, and that's uh, more uh, financial aid uh, and other types of aid to countries in Central America to try to uh, f- start fixing some of the issues that are driving people to leave uh, those countries, trying to fix uh, parts of their economy and the huge problem of corruption and violence. Um, can you comment on, uh, you know, on on this, uh, on the steps the Biden administration has taken on that? Well, he's assigned Vice President Kamala Harris to, to sort of tackle that. And if you remember under uh, the Obama administration, that was Biden's job. He, he met with Central American leaders. Um, in those countries to try and get at this the issue of, of root mi- causes of migration. Um, but, you know, this is a, an immense challenge. Um, one, you have a, a president in Honduras who, uh, whose relatives, close relatives, are now being, uh, you know, essentially charged, prosecuted yes. for, for, for running a, a narco government of sorts. 
Um, in, in El Salvador, you have a, a president who has been prickly with, I think at best, with the Biden administration over, um, you know, visits and, and after being, I think, rebuffed in a visit in Washington, Bukele refused to meet with a U.S. envoy. Um, and then in, in Guatemala, you know, severe issues with corruption out there. So this is not, you know, this is not going to be easy. And I think in, uh, I haven't looked at the exact details of some of these uh bill packages but you know i think that a lot of that money is going to try to be tagged to working not directly perhaps with sending money to the government but working with ngos and nonprofits that have sort of a proven record of helping to improve the lives of folks in those communities um but your caller is absolutely right and something that i pointed out in a piece that i wrote about two weeks ago which is that the reasons why people come are complicated but i you know we do constantly it's and plus and or right Yes, I, you know, I have a situation in my country that's untenable. I am unsafe. Yes, my government is corrupt and the impunity is, uh, un, you know, unbearable, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, I have an opportunity now because of the weather, because of, you know, there are other people who are migrating and I have the protection of groups to move myself now and for because, you know, there is active advertising and and marketing taking place on behalf of smuggling group i mean yeah on behalf of smuggling groups sending these messages um plus the veneer not veneer but sort of the aura of a, of a biden administration that would be more fair in their view to to migrate so it's all those things and plus and people have different reasons and and to be clear like some of this you know influx that we've seen over the past started you know in 2020 it wasn't something that started right at you know, Biden's inauguration. Mm -hmm. We also have a comment from Roger who asks, why do people want to come to the United States instead of a Latin American country that would be closer and more compatible in language and culture? Um, Karen Musalo, would you like to answer that one? Sure. Um, You know, people are looking for places where, where they would be safe. And if you look at the human rights record in the countries, in many of the countries, Um, surrounding. So let me back up and say many of the asylum seekers are coming from El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras. And so, um, you know, they would travel through Mexico to come to the U.S. And Mexico has its own grave, serious um, human rights violations. We've seen what's happening in Nicaragua um, with upheaval and violations of rights. We've seen Colombia. I could, you know, that's not to say that they're, that asylum seekers are not seeking safety closer to home, but there are very few countries that have um, really the, the, the positive record of human rights, even with all the flaws we have in the U.S., um, the positive record on human rights where people feel they could as- escape their situation and, and actually find a stable, um, safe environment in which to resettle. We're talking about asylum under the Biden administration with Arelis Hernandez, border correspondent for The Washington Post based in San Antonio, and Karen Musalo, director of the Center for Gender and Refugee Studies and professor at UC Hastings College of Law. Have you, audience or someone you know, listeners, a friend or family member applied for asylum in this country? What was their experience? What was your experience? Give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866 866- 733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. Karen, um, I mean, 
I, I guess this is kind of late in the show, but just a reminder of what asylum is. I mean, there are protections that allow people to legally live and work in the U.S. Uh, it's for uh, immigrants, people from other countries who are fleeing persecution in their home countries on account of race, religion, nationality, political opinion, or membership in a particular social group. Can you tell us a little bit about how... Uh, the U.S. Uh, even started considering uh, victims of domestic violence, gang violence, which is, uh, you know, some of the reason many of the uh, asylum seekers from Central America are uh, requesting uh, asylum in the U.S. How did we start considering that as a, as a form of persecution and, and also how that connects to uh, the wider issue of women's rights? So um, again, maybe giving a little bit of a historical perspective, we we have protection of refugees because of the, the shameful failure of the international community to protect those fleeing the Holocaust. And so we, um, the U.S. became a party in 1968 to an international refugee uh, protection system and then enacted its own laws in 1980. And if you look at the refugee definition, Frida, that you just mentioned, um, there are five grounds on which people who are if people's rights are violated on account of one of those five grounds, um, they could be recognized as a refugee, race, religion, nationality, political opinion, membership in a particular social group. And so that particular social group ground was really added to the refugee definition so that that types of persecution that might not have been foreseeable back in 1950s when there was a different concept of human rights, as that evolved the refugee definition would be flexible enough to expand and evolve to protect. So we now understand that um, women women are entitled uh, to their human rights, that LGBTQ individuals are entitled to human rights and to their protection. And so it is under that rubric of particular social group that we can protect um, women and other LGBTQ individuals and others fleeing persecution. And it's been a little bit contentious because individuals who um, who want to keep asylum protection limited don't want to accept that refugee protection should reflect our concept, our evolving concept of human rights and who is entitled to human rights. And one thing to just say that the, the Trump administration really tried hard to do was to wipe out all of the precedent that was in favor of um, women fleeing persecution, individuals fleeing gangs. Karen Mosalo, I want to thank you so much for joining us on the show. Uh, Arelis Hernandez, uh, thank you so much as well. Um, we've been speaking with Karen Musalo at the Center for Gender and Refugee Studies at UC Hastings and Araceli Hernandez. And Arelis Hernandez, I'm sorry, border correspondent for the Washington Post based in San Antonio. This is Forum and I'm Farida Javala Romero. Thank you so much for joining us. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.